Undig Me Out, Tim and Jay Review, Emergency and I, by Dismemberment Land. Overall, I think this is a really, really interesting and fun record. I just don't find it particularly musical. Eric Axelson and, and Joe Easley are a pretty dynamic rhythm section. Uh, it just sounds like a robot singing. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason ZXJ. It's episode 144 of our podcast, and we are um, wrapping up our new albums of the fall releases, correlating with old albums that we're reviewing. We did um, Girls Against Boys and Toad the Wet Sprocket. And Monster Magnet and Mazzy Star. And this is our last one, Jay. Um, it was a good run. But uh, next week, we'll be back with a, uh, a suggestion of yours, actually, that uh, I know you're ag- eagerly anticipating our discussion on that record. But first, we've got to get to uh, this week. And we're going to do a band called Dismemberment Plan. Jay, are you familiar with Dismemberment Plan? I am. Sure sure as shit am. You sure as shit am. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was also familiar with this band. Um, they have a new record coming out called Uncanny Valley. And uh, kind of a shock to people, but it, uh, it's happening. And so uh, we're going to take a listen to their... 1999 album Emergency and I the third album and uh, we're going to give a listen and uh, give our opinions on this record um, I think it's going to be an interesting discussion to say the least if I remember uh, your previous uh, opinions on this al- on this particular band and album so uh, but we'll see <laughs> we'll, we'll see when we get to that part let's do uh, let's do some history of the band before we get there history of the band so Dismemberment Plan formed in Washington, D.C. in uh, actually on January 1st, 1993. They have an actual date at which they formed the band. The original lineup was Eric Axelson on bass, Jason Kettle on guitar, Travis Morrison on vocals and guitar, and Steve Cummings on drums. Uh, Cummings only lasted for one album, and then he was replaced on drums by Joe Easley. Uh, their first album, which was just called Exclamation Point, came out in uh, 1995. And that was on DeSoto Records. Their second album, The Dismemberment Plan is Terrified, came out in 1997, also on DeSoto Records. Then the band signed to Interscope Records. And here's the. this is one of those interesting, uh, weird stories of bands that got signed to major labels and what happened to them. So they recorded an EP called The Ice of Boston and put that out for Interscope. And then they were recording the record that we're reviewing, uh, Emergency and I, and they finished the record and there was turnover at the label and they basically got lost in the shuffle and released and they got to take the record with them. So they went back to DeSoto Records and put out the record. And, uh... From there, in 2001, they released the album Change. Uh, broke up. Travis Morrison put out 
some solo albums. Um, notoriously, his uh, first solo record was released in 2004 called Travistan. Pitchfork Records gave the album a zero review out of 10, and it caused a big hoopla on the internet at the time. Uh, because Dismember Plan at that time were kind of considered indie rock darlings. And so it was, a, it was anticipated what was going to happen with Travis Morrison's first record. And uh, so that didn't go well. Uh, Travis Morrison then formed the Travis Morrison's Hellfighters, and he released two additional, or released an additional album, uh, All Y'all, in 2007, and then a single in 2012. But even though Dismember Plan had broken up in 2003, the band was not without. Uh, the occasional get-together. In 2007, they reformed to play a charity event for Calum Robbins, who is the son of Jay Robbins, who was a benefit. And uh, they got together, played at the uh, Black Knight, or Black Cat Nightclub in uh, Washington. And then the, souls, the, the show sold out so fast that they actually added a second show. Uh, but at that point, they did not indicate they were actually getting back together permanently. In 2010... The 10th anniversary of, not the, yeah, I guess, no, that's not right, because 99, that would be 11th anniversary of Emergency and I came out, Barsock Records released it, so they decided to do some shows, celebrating that performance, uh, played some more shows, and then 2012, they played a couple more shows, and started writing songs, and now we have Uncanny Valley released October 15th, uh, 2013, new album, out, and that's the history of uh, this memory plan. If you want to suggest an album for us to review, of course, hit us up, digmeoutpodcast.com, request a review page, request an album for us to review. Oh, one thing I forgot, Jay, this is mightily important. As the band was breaking up, they commissioned their fans to do a remix project. This was kind of interesting. This is sort of the beginning of, you know, 2002, 2003 of, uh, not the beginning, but this is just after Napster. So they basically put the raw tracks in digital form for their songs up on their website and allowed people to download them and then create remixes and then submit them back to the band. And they made an album out of it called A People's History of the Dismemberment Plan. Playing mm-hmm. off of the uh, um, A People's History of the United States uh, book, if anybody's familiar with that book. And then they released it as their remix album. So I've, I know that other artists have attempted that. I know Nine Inch Nails has put out raw tracks and allowed our fans and, to remix and stuff like that. So, But this is, uh, you know, 2002. That's pretty early in terms of bandwidth and being able to download audio tracks. and yeah. So uh, just an, an odd thing that the band had done. And then the other, the other thing I wanted to mention is they were on my one of my – favorite tours that I never got to actually go and see the band, but I know people who did. They toured with, uh, in 2002, Death Cab for Cutie, and they referred to it as the Death and Dismemberment Tour, which is my favorite uh, tour title of all time. Facebook feedback. We got one piece of Facebook feedback. Eric Grubbs, brilliant record. I can't believe it was recorded for Interscope Records. That's a good point. But uh, maybe that's why they're not, they weren't uh, on Interscope when they released this album. We'll see. We'll, we'll talk about that. So, Jay. This memory plan. Do you want me to go first on this one, or do you want to go first? Because you've been, <laughs> you've been going first a lot. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, no, that'd I, be a nice break. You, you know, you all do these it. new releases. You've been going first, and I would be happy to take the the the, the reins on this one and, and start her out. You set the 
stage on this one. Okay. So uh, a little bit of my history with this record. Um, I had not heard of the band up until this record in 99. Uh, was introduced to it based on the single, What Do You Want Me To Say? Doug the single. I think CD 101 in Columbus was playing it a bit. And um, I liked it. So picked up the record, had some friends, mutual friends of both of us who were fans of the record. Listened to it a lot and um, picked up Change after that. I liked Change quite a bit. It was a good record. Not as, I guess you'd say, energetic. It was a little bit more subdued than this record. And then I went back and listened to the early records, which I honestly don't care for very much. I don't think the songwriting is up to par with uh, what's going on on this record or in Change. And I heard the Travis Morrison solo album and was completely turned off. Did not like that at all. So I haven't heard the new record. I am interested. But this record sat for a while. I had not listened to this in probably all the way through probably, I don't know, a decade. I listened to it a lot uh, back in, you know, 99, 2000, 2001, those couple of years. Haven't picked it up much recently. So going back to it, it was really interesting to find all the nooks and crannies that I really, really liked about this record and then discover some things that were, I guess, cracks in the veneer. Um, but overall, I'll just give my overall up front. Overall, I think this is a really, really interesting and fun record. The interplay between the band is incredible. They're amazingly tight musicians. They're able to move from straight 4-4 beats to these weird mixed meter, you know, thrown in a 5-4 or a 7-8 anywhere they want. They're able to do that with Travis Morrison maintaining these oddly catchy vocal melodies that I think draw equal inspiration from Frank Black of the Pixies and um, Steve Malcolmus of uh, Pavement. There's definitely a lot of indie rock royalty being sort of squished into one band. And then you have this weird math rock angle that's going on with a lot of these songs combined with attempts successfully or unsuccessfully at like groove I'm thinking of um, songs like The City and Back and Forth that have, I know Eric Axelson and, and Joe Easley are a pretty dynamic rhythm section. The bass lines and the, and, the, and the drum parts are working on a different level than most bands, especially the bass playing. The bass playing is melodic and aggressive in terms of he's not just playing the bass notes of the guitar chords, which a lot of bands did at the time. He is... You know, putting the focus on what he's doing in terms of counter melodies to Morrison's vocal parts. It's a really fascinating record. The misses for me are the slower songs when, uh, like the jitters, I don't particularly care for that record. But when they are in that like mid-tempo-ish groove of like Memory Machine and uh, I mentioned What Do You Want Me To Say, I really like that song. I think his lyrics are funny without being jokey. Um, I was just playing this for the, my wife in the car the other day, and I said, you know, one of the lyrics I love in this record is at the beginning of What Do You Want Me To Say? is uh, He says, um, I lost my membership card to the human race, so don't forget the face. I know I belong here. I lost my membership card to the human race, so don't forget the face, because I know that I do belong here. Go down the checklist, let's see. Honesty is bad, and keeping inside. 
got one now. I really don't know how. Seasons over every goddamn hell. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? To let you know that I do mean it. What do you want me to say? It doesn't really mean anything. It's just funny, and you are invited. Uh, a simple song with just sort of a Casio keyboard beat, you know, some additions along the way, and then it bursts into this big rock anthem. Again, he's he's playing. His word choices are funny. He's got a lot of you know lines. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he did some writing in his spare time. There's just, it's a lot to digest. And on the flip side, I know that this probably does not work for everybody because um, they're kind of spastic. They're all over the place in terms of, they can get really loud and aggressive. Um, thinking of songs like um, I Love a Magician, which sounds like a straight up Pixies rip from uh, Surferosa or uh, Doolittle. And then uh, like gyroscope or or girl o'clock. There's just a, there's a lot of craziness that goes on, and then there's spiders in the snow, which is a much more delicate song and more relaxed. So, like I said, overall this works really well for me. Um, I think it sounds good. I think the parts that go in in the wrong hands, this would be a disaster of a record. But I think it's uh, minus a song or two. I think it's a brilliant record. So, Jay, I am waiting with bated breath to hear what you have to say about this album. <laughs> well, uh, I think you already set me up in terms of at least history. Historically, my point of view on this has probably been the opposite of that. Um, so it was interesting to go back to it and listen to it now um, with some time. It's probably been uh, close to 10 years since I really heard any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I think my point of view hasn't changed a ton. I think I can articulate a little bit better what I like and don't like about the band um, now that I could then. I agree that the the rhythm section is, is the strongest part of the record. I think the drum and bass parts are, they try different things. Um, they play with timing. Uh, bass-wise, they use some different tones. Um, sometimes they use a keyboard for bass or use a bass tone that's very keyboard-like. Um, so I think there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of strength there and a lot to build on. Um, my problem usually with most of the record when I have an issue is, is with the, the vocals and with the guitar playing. Um, you know, the, the, I think track one, Life Possibilities, is, is probably the best m- mix for me of all the different elements this band has. So there's a cool bass sound. It's kind of like, it's almost like it sounds like a, a synth. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting vocal tone, really interesting melodies. Um, they go in different places you don't expect, but not so far that it kind of becomes uh, non-musical, I guess, for lack of a better term. You know, the use of guitars in that song are really tasteful. He's really restrained. He kind of sits back and um, he doesn't play sometimes. And then he comes in with really nice uh, melodic parts and accents. And um, he uses a clean tone a lot, which is really cool. Oh! 
Just uh, there's a cool dynamic that it, you know t- they go into this this different bridge. It's a little bit quieter, and then they come out of that into a you know a bigger ending. Right. So there's all the elements that I think this band has. They kind of all put it in that one that first song. Um, I would say that the closest they get to that again is maybe Gyroscope um, in terms of the, all of those elements coming together in a different way. My problem is is that you know I, I like Memory Machine. You know it introduces the keyboard with is cool um it has a little bit of the progressive stuff going on in it both melodically and from a rhythm standpoint there's some weird like tonal guitar things like using octave effects and stuff but so it starts to open the door you know as you progress through the record of of you know what they're capable of um i think when you get the track three is when for me one of the elements of the band that's kind of annoying kicks in so you know the verse of that song um You've got it, it, this annoying guitar part that's just playing the same thing over and over again, which it's kind of thing where when you first hear it, it's it's cool, but after about a minute of it, um, you start to get really annoyed. And then and then vocally, he he does this thing. I mean, I guess it's unique um, in terms of the melody he uses, but I just don't find it particularly musical. I mean, it's almost it's a there's a couple times on this record, two or three times where he uses melodies for the whole verse that, that you frankly could sing anything. They they don't rhyme. They don't really have any i don't know they're just like insert any word you want so maybe lyrically there's some stuff going on there i'll leave that to you to 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 to, to talk about what you kind of did but but it just sounds like a robot singing and um it's saved by the chorus obviously in that song which is a great chorus Mm -hmm. um i think i could take it a little bit more if those verses were shorter and the song was a little bit shorter but uh it's not as it is and i don't know i just can't get through those verses fast enough um, and then the record enters this, this area where they start to really explore different different things. Uh, Spider in the Snow, you know, vocally, I think he sounds sometimes, it feels like I'm listening to a Paul Simon, like, Graceland record or something. <laughs> like, kind of the spoken pitter-patter beat poet thing. There's, like, jazz bass lines thrown in, spoken sound, spoken vocal styles. Um the jitters, they get really slow. Again, the melody, he could be singing anything. It, it, it's sort of like he's just making things up as he goes along. Almost to the point, I think, in that song, the melody gets like just overly odd to the point where he, there, it just sounds like they're, especially when you get to the chorus, like some of the notes in there they play. It reminded me a little bit of like Shudder to Think, but mm-hmm. Shudder to Think, I don't know. There was just something about the way that they did it seemed a little bit crazy but very much in control of what they were doing and why and i don't know that when they try to do that it just sounds like them trying too hard you know i uh, i love a a magician that sounds like to me that sounds like a song where they were like well we play with a lot of dc punk bands we need to write a song so that we can play you know play gigs with them Uh, i'm not quite sure whether whether that song fits in um well like i said i think that's uh that's pixies Oh, yeah, 
that's that sounds so much like early to mid Pixies. That's where I think they're coming from with that record, with that song. You Are Invited is a lot like uh, what you want me to say in terms of, again, the verse is like, oh boy, we can, can't get through this fast enough. Um, and then the chorus is great. Um, that song came on, we even mentioned um, talking to your wife about this record. That song came on in the car and it was on for like 10 seconds. And Courtney was like, this is the worst song I've ever heard. <laughs> it's like, sorry, I, I put serious on it. I was like, uh. Come on, I'll, that's not the I'll, worst. I'll visit this later. It's a that story song. I mean, it's you have to get through the song. It's the story. He's telling a story. But the the robot vocal in the in the verse is just like painful. And then gyroscope I like, but then the whole end of the record, it gets really experimental, especially those last three tracks where they're just they're doing all kinds of stuff. I just don't have any appetite for you know a lot of funk stuff, a lot of I don't know, just. They, they get a little like girl o'clock is like kind of a freak out thing and he sings the whole thing in this weird like cracked voice and um i like the city that's kind of cool i i don't mind when they get into um you know kind of almost like an electronic sound with how the bass uh, the bass sounds and how the drums are approached i, I kind of like that especially if they get kind of atmospheric with introducing keyboards and stuff but uh I, I, I don't the last three songs on this record I can't especially like girl girl clock I cannot skip fast past that song fast enough. that is he's doing a stutter just like Roger Daltrey in my oh. generation no 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 that's, that's just, all that is no. it's just annoying I I really like the the when they do those groove songs with the city and back and forth. Um, I imagine I never got to see them live, but I imagine those are great live songs to, you know, nod your head to or or do whatever you want to do with your, whatever people do with their bodies when there's when a song comes on. It's uh, nice to um, move rhythmically with. It's not like a, a Martian describing dancing. <laughs> that's what I yeah. That's essentially what it is. When you move your body rhythmically with the music being played in front of you. <laughs> yeah, I. Those are two songs that I always go back to uh, because they're hip. I, they find the right groove and they stick it perfectly, so that you can just sort of hypnotically stay with that song. And yeah, I'm not always in the mood for "Girl O'Clock" or Eight and a Half Minutes" because of their. I don't even know. I, yeah, you know, DC or post-punk sounds. But if I am in the mood for them, I think they're awesome. It's just a it's a mood thing. Uh, but I appreciate the fact that they're there and they're both under three minutes, so. They're not particularly, you know, long songs. So it's not like it's a seven and a half minute long exploration with a jazz breakdown or anything like that. I mean, they, <laughs> they, this, Thank God. Right. I mean, overall, this is a, you know, this is barely 45 minutes, this record for 12 songs. So it's a pretty yeah. compact album yep. overall. They only really hit, they hit the five minute mark on the last song. Who produced this record? That is a great question. And I will tell you that in approximately five seconds. I mean, the sound of the record is, is um, X. It's actually produced by Jay Robbins. Okay. That's along with a, a gentleman named uh, Chad Clark. Yeah, it's very, um, I mean, it's beautiful from a production standpoint. I mean, everything sounds fantastic. Um, and it still sounds, you know, great now. Time has not affected this record in any, mm-hmm. in any aspect. I mean, the tones are great. Um, it's really cool how they mix the the keyboard when it comes in, um, 
they'll paint it hard a lot of times, which is this really cool spatial thing mm -hmm. happens. Um, and everything, it's just a perfect mix of, um, you can pull out every single instrument in it, but it all merges together when it needs to into a you know, cohesive sound. So from a production standpoint, it's, it's stellar, especially because they don't use a lot of distortion. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll use some overdrive here and there mm -hmm. when, they, when a chorus needs to get, some of the choruses need to get big. But uh, it still has a little bit of grit to it somehow. I'm not quite sure um, how exactly they're pulling that off because a lot of the times it, it, has a, it has it, but it's either coming from like a little bit of the bass tone or the way the, the keyboard's mixed in. And are, you know, it's not just turning the distortion on the guitars, which is kind of a cool... If you can pull that off, you know what you're doing. So I mentioned that uh, Travis Morrison's solo album got a zero. On the flip side from Pitchfork Media. On the flip side, Pitchfork gave this a 9.6 out of 10. Across the board, this is a five-star, all music, four-and-a-half-star, Consequence of Sound, five-star, Pop Matters, 10 out of 10, uh, Rolling Stone, four out of fives. This hit, I think, for me, and I think for a lot of people, at a very interesting time because I was just graduated from college, I was in my 20s, and a lot of this record, you were talking about lyrics, is lyrically about uncertainty and doubt and confusion about growing older and what you're supposed to be doing and the confusion of transforming or, or, or making that uh, transformation from teenage semi-responsibility and college semi-responsibility into actual adulthood responsibility. The thing I like about You're Invited is that um, it turns the simple act of you know going to a party or going to a bar into a much more complicated thing, which is what happens when you get out of college. In college, you just go to a bar or go to a party or whatever, and that's that. Uh, all of a sudden, when you're out of college, then you have, like, there's politics involved. Who's going to be there? Is my ex going to be there? You know, you have histories with people now once when, when you're a little bit older. And, um, you know, getting into places that you couldn't get into before uh, can matter to certain people. And there's just this album is just riddled with uh just it's not you know an angsty emo-ish wine it's a much more introspective like why am you know what's the what's the path that i'm going to choose do i even do i even have enough knowledge do i even understand what the path is um is this all you know am i kind of fooling myself and thinking i'm even knowing what i'm doing by making a choice um there's just a lot of uh things that i think someone like myself, like a lot of people who were in their 20s and identified with this record when it came out, um, really gravitated towards. And, you know, I'm in my late 30s now, so going back and listening to it, um, it definitely, you know, makes you think back to that time. And uh, it's, you know, wouldn't necessarily connect maybe the same way, but... Yeah, I mean, I think that lyrically I'll say, you know, taking it as you described it, it's a little bit, I guess, one of my coworkers would call that navel gazing. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of like being deep and introspective and overly considered about a bunch of things that at the end of the day mean nothing. It's just like, you know, life's about making decisions and moving forward. And, you know, it's, it seems like it's a lot of sitting around and considering, like overly considering things and being self-critical and just like, I don't know, tedious and boring at some point. But, I mean, I get it. I get it that time period that probably... I obviously connected with a lot of people, and I'm not contesting a lot of the reviews. I mean, I think at the time it came out, 
Um, and even now, I mean, it's a unique sounding band. You know, I don't, yes, there's some comparisons you could throw in there. And I think you brought up a lot of good ones, but for the most part, you know, there's not, there's not a whole lot of bands that you could put them, um, alongside where they're, you know, which you could make a one-to-one comparison, you know, oh, okay. with, um, well, I, I think... just think that sometimes it goes a little bit overboard. And I think I've never heard the Travis Morrison solo stuff, but I can, tell from listening to this record that he's the kind of guy that this band saves him from himself like the strength of this rhythm section and musicianship and probably them pushing back on his overindulgent tendencies to do weird things probably his solo record is probably full of that it would be like if michael stipe did a solo record you know right be insufferable it'd just be like oh my god peter buck please show up and get this guy like get it in a equal some of this out you know kind of thing Right. And I, I think that there are plenty of bands that you can draw comparisons to. You know, I, I mentioned as influences Pixies and, and Pavement. Um, I, I think there's some Jawbox influence into this, some Gang of Four with with regards to the lyrical explorations, I guess you'd say. Um, uh, you know, bands like Talking Heads or, the, or XTC, uh, they remind me of. Uh, but in, then in terms of like their contemporaries and bands going forward... Um, in terms of being able to combine melody, but with sort of spastic uh, ex- explorations from here and there, I, I was thinking of like at the drive-in. Actually, they're not that far off. They're sort of like the mm-hmm. fun kid brother of at the drive-in, um, or a, or a modest mouse. Let's say a less dreary modest mouse, mm-hmm. uh, or even with you know some of the you know, dancier stuff that they're attempting bands like, uh, they reminded me of bands like the rapture who were around, uh, in the early to mid two thousands. And then at times even like Ted Leo or, mm. uh, there's some, some aspects, uh, to them, not less so on this record than on the next record change, which I mentioned is a much, it's a bit more mature. It's a bit more settled. There's not as much spastic freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, funny way you put it that way. Yeah, well, I, you know, it, that definitely happened with you mentioned like Girl Clock, eight and a half minutes. Um, I love a musician, uh, Gyroscope. You know, those are aggressive, loud songs that are more in like the vein of like, I don't know, Trail of Dead or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas the next record, they sort of embrace maturity, I would say. And I think that that's what this record ultimately sounds like it sounds like a band that is exploring what they can do and pushing the limits and then they reined it in on the next record and while it's a fine record it doesn't it doesn't give me that energy that this record does doesn't it doesn't show me that like we can do anything we put our minds to and kind of pull it off or at least that's my opinion of it and uh that's that that, interesting because you mentioned uh, Shudder to Think. I hadn't thought about them, but there is a, a definite like Shudder to Think sound going on with uh, a lot of this. Um, I don't hear you know, when you mentioned DC bands. I don't hear you know the Fugazi as much, or I guess uh, Shiner was on Desoto, but they're not really a DC band because they're from Kansas City. Yeah, um, I don't really hear a Shiner uh, sound. Shiner to me is much more of a muscular. You know, failure 
type of band, not really playing in the same sandbox as, as uh, Dismemberment Plan is. No, it was more of like, oh, we need to, there was a couple songs in here. It was like, oh, we need to do something that's loud and fast and more in your face so that we can you know, play with bands that are more like that. I don't know if it's necessarily that they felt like they needed to or just like, hey, I, I, I'm doing this and it sounds cool. Let's build off of that. And, yeah, yeah, I'm totally projecting, but it just, it comes off to me like potentially like that's kind of what they were, you know, we know being a being in a band you do that sometimes right not honestly like hey let's write a song like so-and-so but you just you get inspired by certain things and you end up you know, right sort of doing stuff to, that fits the types of bands that you see all the time and play with all the time in in knowing what i know about their their two previous records to me it sounds like the the louder and more i guess you'd say um experimental stuff was probably what they started the record with mm. and then with like maybe older songs and then as they were growing and, and getting more adventurous they were probably doing the more groove oriented the more slower the more pop stuff because they'd come from more of a punk background um, i did want to mention that so this was recorded in water music studios in hoboken new jersey chad clark who was the co-producer of this record along with jay robbins um, had quite a bit of influence uh, originally, what do you want me to say was going to have uh, turntable scratchings on it? Oh boy! And, and Chad Clark said no. <laughs> um, he also wanted to kick off. He wanted. He did not want you are invited to be on the record. And the band uh, overturned his. You know, or not just didn't listen to him. Obviously, they make the final decision. So he had some different opinions on. Uh, he was going to put real strings on Spider in the Snow, and Travis Morrison said no. Let's just use a keyboard. Yeah. Huh. So, there, there, a turntable scratching. What in the world? Well, I, I can I can understand that because when they get to that loud part after the chorus, where the band's like sort of crashing all together and he's like yelping, yeah, I could that, hear like, where they would throw al- that in. I know, but like, I I I think this record, despite my you know, not my lack of enthusiasm for some of the material. This record is pretty timeless sounding. Mm-hmm. Boy, you put turntable scratching on it, and who? Not so much. And those are the decisions <laughs> that make or break records. The decision to leave the turntable scratching off that song yeah. probably saved that from being a you know time stamped joke to. Yeah. A more timeless sound so you never know when you're in the studio what's going to make the difference yeah clearly that did so let's get to your overall rating jay uh where the album better ep decent single i'm at ep i could take uh first three tracks um you are invited and gyroscope and i'm good five songs well okay then well i'm going like i said i think this is a pretty damn brilliant record Minus maybe one or two songs. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the jitters. Just not. It's, it's a little too uh, pavementy for me, and I'm not a big pavement fan. So, and you mentioned those weird chords during the verse, during the choruses. Don't actually. They're very deliberate. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So I'm not a big fan of that. But I would say there are ten to eleven really, really fantastic songs on this record. So. Agree or disagree with us, please let us know. Stop by our various social media outlets and um, give us some feedback. Also, 
hit us up at the iTunes store. Leave us some uh, positive words there. Give us a couple stars. More than a couple, actually. Like four, five, ten. Whatever they allow you. Uh, that'd be awesome, too. And uh, like I said, next week, Jay will be back with a pick of his own. We're done with the fall new release uh, schedule. So, uh, Jay, you excited about that? Yeah, let's do it. Let's, All right. Uh, wrap this year up. And wrap it up uh, very soon. Only got uh, like 11, 10, 9 episodes left for the year. So, something like that. And you can still get your picks in. So, if you want to make a pick, digmeoutpodcast.com. That's where you uh, hit our request review page. And uh, for Jay, I'm Tim. And that's another episode. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. And no space, and no schedule, and no place. When they pass right through us without a trace, and sometimes I need to just my car.